Hello everybody and welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host Anthony Tyler and as always we are listening to this on the Fringe FM, at least initially, uh, before you get your streaming action elsewhere. And I have a part two for you. I actually recorded a conversation over on Alex's podcast, Natural Born Alchemist, uh, my last guest. And he's got a bit of a different audience, you know, because he's all the way in Europe and he's got um, a rollout that's pushed back further. So I'm going ahead and releasing this episode. He's also got these releases coming out probably about a month or so from now. But um, so I recommend you check out our last conversation over here on uh, Black Hoodie Alchemy. You can also check out the episode I did about cannabis and metaphysics and that'll kind of lend to this conversation as well lots of drugs and alchemy and horticulture so without further ado I'm going to dive right into it and we really hope you dig it thanks for tuning in So thanks for being on the podcast again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's always fun to see what, what what I get up to with you. We always talk about some crazy shit. Yeah, and you, you uh, have told me that uh, you've been interested in in growing uh, food and things. Yeah, um, I, I have a lot of history. Um, you know, like I've grown cannabis legally for dispensaries and I've worked in greenhouses and I've always been fascinated with the idea of not just self-sustainability, but that, that very alchemical aspect of, um, feeling the, the tangible aspects of, um, you know, the environment around you. Like it's really, you know, if we're just getting down to the brass tacks of it, like, you know, just for starters, I think it's really interesting, all the different things like growing a plant in a certain environment, even if those environments uh, that you're comparing are going to be adequate, uh, they're going to have like variability. And it's going to bring out different aspects of the plant. And that and, and like physically and probably more than likely chemically, um, and therefore therapeutically. And you know, I got more into growing things like cannabis um, at the and I um I don't grow for a dispensary anymore. I work at a at a medical dispensary, uh, so I'm on the other side. And the state I'm in now, uh, they're expanding slowly. They're they're growing, and it's a little more centralized around here. And I don't want to move. So, but cannabis was a really big inspiration for me because at the same time that it had legalized in Alaska and I was able to start growing it was the exact same time that I had, um, you know, I, I got out of military school. I graduated high school early cause I went to military school with credits and they help you catch up on credits. So I just didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I had moved out of my parents' house and I was just, that was when I was working construction and cooking and, um, and then I was just growing weed on the side. So I figured if anything, it would help me. And I'd also been stuck on like, they had me on mood stabilizers in high school, on benzodiazepines, it was clonopin, and I was on uh, maybe Prozac, I can't, Zoloft, that's the one it was, the antidepressant. And then they even had me on blood thinners to help stabilize all that. 
Um, so, and I don't recommend this at all, but I ended up quitting cold turkey. Um, and the more, the older I grow, the more I hear people say how dangerous that is. And I just figured I would just strong arm it. But I, and I guess I was lucky to not start seizing up and shit like that. Um, I definitely noticed some adverse effects. Like, I don't know how easily I could describe it, but because I don't know what kind of chemical process is going on in the brain at this point, but I noticed that when I stopped taking all of these, and I think it was an effect of the lack of Zoloft, for whatever it's worth, um, um, it, it whenever I would focus on something for too long, it would start to shake. Like this is a real deep reference, but I don't know if anybody's seen the movie The Butterfly Effect, where right before he fucking goes into his trance state, the whole room starts to shake. It was kind of like that, like wherever I would focus and it was really weird. And it felt like something was misfiring in my head there. There was some strange like withdrawal effects. And then, you know, the benzos, you just feel like shit um, on top of everything else. And it didn't happen too much where I felt like I was concerned, but it happened enough times where I remember it. And I was like, man, if that is too often, then something bad is you know, I might have to talk to somebody about this. So that was the worst of it. But I've heard of people like, I think you could die if you're taking too much of that stuff and you come off at cold Turkey. So I, you know, that was a, a, a little bit of a, like a miracle in and of itself. Um, just circumstantially, I guess. And then I, I found cannabis and I did research into it. And this is all while I'm like 18. Um, so I'm like super young, trying to younger than I am now trying to figure out, you know, like the difference between addiction and quality of life and pharmaceutical, I don't know, just like sterile, like this sterile isolates that are oftentimes a lot more theoretical than they are backed up by like long withstanding science. That's another sketchy thing. Didn't the doctors before they suggested all these different uh, pharmaceuticals didn't they first suggest like uh, uh, try and take a walk in a forest or meditate in a forest or uh, go to the ocean and sit there for an hour once a week no you would think so you would think so and actually um i will say that at that time um someone that uh really helped me was a therapist that i was going to see because i just had really bad anxiety and depression uh, like crippling in some cases um, um, growing up. And I, w- I went to see a therapist that w- was in conjunction with a psychiatrist. And I was lucky enough because it was just like I I wasn't vetting out people. Um, but he was like a very sort of open-minded, hippie-ish intellectual. Um, like we got to a place where I told him at a young age, you know, I was like 17 um, and I was like, I didn't want him to tell my dad uh, because I was, you know, I did not want to get in deep seated trouble. But I got to a place of comfort with him where I could talk to him about some of the like what I would now call transcendental aspects of some mushroom trips that I had. And this guy was he 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 helped me talk about it a little bit in a positive contextual way. Uh, and he didn't endorse it entirely, but he all but did. And he also told me once about a time where he took mushrooms out of similar experience and he emphasized the fact that um he was like hey you know 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you should do drugs. You know, I can't advocate any of this, but he's like, you know, we can learn different things from different aspects of life. And, and he's like, this is one of the least concerning things that you could be doing, especially like in terms of drugs. So, um, and, and I was very thankful. I was lucky to have some people like that because otherwise it was a completely clinical, sterile environment of just like, oh, you have anxiety, depression. Well, let's give you some some chemicals that are supposed to give you more serotonin and dopamine. And there wasn't really much more thought to it. And what eventually resulted was none of the problems being fixed. And instead, I was just drugged out all the time and kind of in a haze. Yeah, that's because like the healthcare industry are only interested in making you... Are all, they're only interested in, in helping you manage your... Uh, your illness uh, it's not about curing you know right right it, yeah it, it's it's kind of disturbing you know it in many ways you know i'm just kind of you know we're just kind of kicking it here and just having a conversation so i don't want anyone to get too up in arms about this one way or the other but in many ways i see doctors in the similar aspects of um police officers where um you know, like there are plenty of them out there trying to do a lot of good, but then there's, there are others in those positions of power because they just wanted that power for one reason or another. It's that very sort of like demiurge ego inflating, um, aspect of, uh, of both of those things. And, and that's why, you know, if you really think about it, taking some of those chemicals is like having a corporation inside your brain you know, altering your neurochemistry, if you, especially if you want to be symbolic about it. And that's creepy to me. I don't, I don't want any sort of, um, uh, you know, corporate round table of scientists to have a patent chemical in my brain. It, like that just seems strange to me. Um, and I know I'm like, I'm in bell or it doesn't have to be so like Orwellian in that sense, but that's kind of where it goes for me. Um, and, in just practical sense, like a lot of times doctors are just simply selling or giving you the medication because they got a big bonus from the company that that creates the medication. You know, it really does boil down to stuff like that. And um, especially here in America. And I got to a point where I was seeing this politically and like, you know, the the weirdness of the doctor in the medical industry. I was experiencing withdrawals. I've definitely felt like shit. Uh, thank God I didn't seize out or anything like that, like I was saying. And and then you get you see cannabis activism. Um and where I'm at in this stage, um, you know, at this point in time, I'm young and it's like right where cannabis is being legalized in Alaska. So and I'd been on, you know, the West Coast, so I'm used to cannabis being a little a little further along in the activist uh like spectrum, but this was still sort of the beginning stages. It's it's a whole different ball game even now than it was then. And there's um um sort of like a you know, a guerrilla warfare mentality to it of just like anarchism, like fuck the man, this is a genuine medicine, and we've known it for a long time. Um it's been sacramentally used for thousands of years, um, but it was illegalized recently and even used by our founding fathers, if you really want to get all America about it. I saw a great meme the other day. It said, uh, the war on drugs and drugs are winning. 
Yeah, yeah, because the war on drugs is so senseless. It's not. It's never been effective. Um, but, um, so yeah, it was a very. It all just sort of coalesced, and after doing the research, and hell, you know, if I'm sticking with the narrative, like probably only a couple weeks or a month of going through withdrawals. So I was over the initial hump of the withdrawal, but I started smoking cannabis more often. I had tried it before and I liked it. And I finally just got to this point where I was like, I think I want to do this like a lot. And what, <laughs> you know, what are the, this like the genuine implications of that? Um, and so I looked into all of the, the worst things you could find about it. And, and I looked into all the best things you could find, you know, and I, I looked into the studies about those and not just the, the, uh, the spun headlines. And, um, you know, it, it, it's very obvious, uh, when you just look at the data that, um, you know, like the worst that's going to come from it is if you're smoking too much all the time, you might have some heart disease cause there is tar in your lungs. You know, you are inhaling carcinogens if you smoke. Um, and, you know, you can definitely get to an escapism point where you're just getting high instead of actually, um, um, you know, getting to the root of the problem. Well, I can say that uh, I used to have a an unhealthy relationship with cannabis, and I actually stopped using cannabis for for many many years. And then um, right now I'm uh, using it again, but. The way I'm using it now is very different from the way I used to use it, where I used to smoke 24-7. Now I use it more as a sacrament uh, on certain occasions. I've discovered that it's... Uh, I knew I knew it already, but I discovered it's even in small doses, especially if you don't smoke that often. In small doses, they can be quite psychedelic. Very much so, yeah. And in large doses, very psychedelic, of course. <laughs> um... This is something that's propelled me in in just my life and even my spiritual journey is I genuinely use cannabis medically. Um, not only did it help with these things like withdrawals and anxiety and depression, but um, some more daily uses or those, you know, and I've I've grown a lot. Um, I know how to, you know, um, I'm, I'm more comfortable with myself and I have been for, for some time now. But the thing that um, I end up using it for most of all cannabis is, um, the, 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 I have, um, like genuine, like chronic skin issues, um, and, uh, like eczema that just gets really fucked up sometimes on my hands and my elbows and on my back a little bit. Um, I'm thankful that's not worse, but, um, and I also have some pretty bad stomach issues uh, that run in the family. And again, thankful it's not something like Crohn's disease, but these things can be debilitating. Like, you know, thank thank God my eczema has never been on my face, but like it, on the crook of your elbow, I just have a whole patch. And if that is out in the sun too long and I'm sweating, it'll get irritated and it'll start to itch. And then it'll start to like break out and get this like hive rash. And then it'll start to crack and bleed that in. And just smoking cannabis will genuinely help with that. But then if you go further and do something like take the tinctures or even put topical lotion on, um, yeah, it's a it's an absolute game changer. So I really had to find the line 
Um, and I'm a total advocate for tolerance breaks and moderation and respecting the hell out of this thing. Cause in some cases you might have to use it if not all the time consistently, and you need to have a respect and a sort of ritual and ceremony about it. Um, I would not be the person I am today without cannabis and psilocybin mushrooms. And I'm proud of that, you know, and I, I, I have nothing but, um, um, humility for that statement. Like that statement humbles me very much um, because plants have helped shape me into who I am. And, 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 and for that reason and others more like, that's why I consider myself an alchemist because if not for that genuine alchemical process, I wouldn't be here. I would probably be, if I was here, I'd be a shell of who I am at the moment. And there's a good chance I wouldn't even be here. I was just on a bad path where I didn't like myself and I was self-destructive at a young age. And thankfully I didn't take it out on anyone else. I never had an inclination to, um, otherwise, I don't know, it could have been worse, but there was definitely a point. And, and I know you can relate to this a bit as well, Alex, where, um, I just felt very like self nihilistic. I just felt like nothing mattered and I didn't matter. And, I was just going to kind of follow that path until it fizzled out. Um, and instead I got jammed up with a lot of this weird stuff, like, you know, detoxing off of pharmaceuticals and looking into cannabis and then experiencing relief and then finding psychedelics and, and, and looking into Buddhism and, and comparative religion after that. Um, and, and, and yeah, it all just kind of culminated for me. And if not for that, yeah. Like I said, it'd be a different, d different ball game. Something I've noticed recently, I've always had house plants and uh, working a lot. Uh, you know, you get tired when you come home, and I haven't really taken care of my house plants. And you know, some of them are half dying. So I, I got house plants that last longer without water. You know, so they'll do better. Anyway, I, I, I have cats and I always make sure, no matter how tired I am, you know, make sure they have food, you know. And then I, later on I had children and you always have to make sure they're doing good. Then I realized that I have to care for my houseplants in the same way I care for my children and my cats. So I started doing that and, uh, you know, I repotted them all and made them all as good as possible and now I've been taking care of them more and uh, it did it had a bigger effect than I thought you know uh, on me it's like because uh, suddenly my family is like went from four or five people and two cats to like 50 you know <laughs> with all the houseplants and uh, I uh, I did reconnect with with it because as a, as a child you know I liked plants and that but you know when you're in the rat race you know uh, you forget s simple things like that and when you have a, like uh, when you put a seed and then you get the little baby plant and then like l long time after that you have this huge plant you know it's like your baby who that grew up right it, it really is um, I swear growing plants and and with cannabis, I have the most experience um, and the and the most like sentimental value because it has improved my quality of life. But when I talk about the cannabis plants, it's really not exclusively it. The cannabis, like I, I, I love growing plants, and I, uh, I do have a passion for 
all of it. Um, and that's sort of, that's definitely a goal of mine is to get to a place where I can at least grow some sort of my own food. That's one threshold I really haven't been able to broach yet. But um, um, I learned so much about caring for myself through learning to care for plants. Uh, be, you know, because for me, uh, with that whole scenario in my life that I was explaining, um, you know, I started using um, cannabis a lot and um, that was working. And, uh, you know, th- this had become my medicine instead of taking these pills at this point. And um, it was legal. So I figured and I did have the space. So I invested a little bit of money. I didn't go crazy. And I um, um, I started growing it. And then it just kind of built from there. I just started growing it for myself and I would, you know, give it to friends and stuff like that. But uh, it really wasn't even like any sort of like serious operation at all. Um, it was genuinely me growing medicine and um, seeing like in the same vein of like it being weird to have a corporation in your brain to, to see a plant start from seed to watch it struggle <laughs> through the dirt, poke its way out. Just that initial of like, oh shit, it made it. It didn't just die in the dirt. It's there now. And then, and then you watch it grow all through the process and you get to the end where you're finally smoking it. You're just like, this is some damn magic right here. Like this literally, this just came from nothing. This was just a speck of inert matter. And now it's become this entire cathartic, therapeutic ceremony and ritual. And I think if not for the, you know, the, the therapeutic power of cannabis that that entire alchemical hermetic lesson might not have hit me so hard and so fully but um like especially after seeing the whole process seed to end and then grow you know using it myself it it just really sealed the deal and then and then i would start to think about it in bigger terms like you know the money i would save um, instead of going to buy it elsewhere, um, I would I would start to see the plant growing as, you know, and it opened my mind to the practical aspects of metaphysics because in a literal way, this plant, you know, and and also for that matter, thinking like a farmer, this plant could be, I don't know, four ounces in my closet, and four ounces could be like a thousand dollars, and like the, and so the, it's potential. It's not just therapeutic. It's like the potential of taking something from nothing and then just that inert matter becomes, you know, whatever. Uh, it's something that you can use to like uh, save money on or trade with your friends or, you know, it actually becomes something that gives you like an adaptational leg up. And for me, that just really all sealed the deal. And I've been, I've, I've been a fan of uh, horticulture ever since and, and a participant to one degree or another, even if it is just houseplants or something. Imagine in the future, you know, in school, everybody has to go home and do a science project, like make a fake volcano or something. Uh, maybe if everybody in class had to grow a, a cannabis plant, you know, like and then come back at the end of the year with their finished plant and then uh, as a part of graduation, the whole class smokes it (laughs) i love that so much man god i wish in a perfect world um yeah that would be great um you know the idea of plants and technology is a thing that's interested me like there's 
you know, like you can plants emanate their own like energy signals and like, uh, um, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, trying to, there's a very obvious word frequency. There we go. Um, and you can translate that like people have done with other things into like conventional like notes, you know, like musical structure through programs and hearing the plant sounds is so fascinating. Um, and um, it, it's also got me thinking about like, I've never heard a cannabis plant sound. I would very much like to hear that, but also um, I've thought about, I don't know what kind of like corporations are doing stuff with this. I, but as far as I understand it, it's not a conventional thing whatsoever. Um, but there is a lot of science to show that it's useful. Not about using um, electrolysis to stimulate plant growth. And if you get it the right way where you're not just electrocuting your plants, um, whether it's cannabis or anything else, you can actually use electrolysis um, to increase plant growth and to, uh, to increase the strength and like the fruit and to um, cut down on um, – time scales you know they grow quicker in that way and um yeah like biohacking plants essentially and we've only just scratched the surface of that i mean that's another thing talk about alchemy look at where cannabis has come from like brickweed you know brown brickweed pressed together to get over whatever border um to a million different strains as a cannabis enthusiast, it gets tiresome to deal with so many different strains. I wish people would stop making so many names, <laughs> but it just shows like once, you know, once, like the, the Pandora's box of something, you find something's good and you just start creating all these variations um, that, um, and, and all, and on all these layers of the onion unfolding all these different therapeutic aspects. Um, it's kind of, it's definitely one large aspect of alchemy in and of itself, just right there. And to see where, you know, it to take that mindset and that scientific application and then take it further, I'm very interested to see. This is kind of like the positive side. Like instead of what Monsanto is doing and creating all these genetic Frankensteins, we take science and we actually advance in like, I guess the only decent term being like biohacking um, plants, um, in a, in a way that's basically a continuation of traditional alchemy. Um, I would love to see that. I, and you know what, if I was some sort of wealthy person that had any, <laughs> had a trust fund or something, that's the kind of shit I would be doing. I think on top of like writing and doing podcasts, I'd just be, I'd ha I'd live in a greenhouse and just grow all sorts of plants. And I'd just be doing all these weird mad scientist experiments with electrolysis and everything else with plants maybe one day i would love it you know when you see on the news the government they have uh you know uh, the senate or or the capital or in other countries you know when they film the government you have a speaker of the house it always looks the same and they have all these people sitting in their own little podiums or you know hundreds of people in my, but you you never see in any of these uh, videos uh, uh, any plants. Wouldn't it be cool if it was like loads of plants there as well, you know? Oh, that would be great. That would, you know, um, I hope someone in um, in Washington is listening to this because that would be a great propaganda tool. You get your politicians around more plants. I, I'm not even lying. Like that would 
that would help soften things up a little bit. Um, bit. Um, and you give I, them a mic as well, you know, like, uh... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, plants really do. They have like their own personalities and I, tr- it, it's truly not even an exaggeration to say that I learned so much about taking care of myself because, be- because I cared about the therapeutic potential of the things I saw their worth tangibly and, 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 and then you see all sorts of different aspects, you know, uh, you, cause you could take clones of like damn near any sort of plant for the most part. And, um, and you can see so many life cycles and then you start to see like statistics with you within your own area, like your own garden. And, um, and you start to see that sometimes a plant can start out really healthy and then get some sort of Achilles heel proverbially and just stay downhill and it can't recover, um, in extreme cases. And then you see plants that start out really fucked up for whatever reason, and they take forever to find their legs. But when they do, they take off even stronger because of that trauma, uh, that strength building, that stress training. And, and, and then you start to think about like basic self-help things and you're like, well, I guess I'm starting to see, it's not just words because I know that this is all uh, the, this is all biology and like this is biology reacting to stress and trauma and it's just growth. And even if plants are different than humans, not, those things aren't different. You know, like everything on earth that's alive shares those things in common. And you really can take like, um, you can, you can transpose a lot of that. And like, I, I just learned a lot about, I saw, it was the first time where I guess in some ways where I had the healthiest relationships, you know what I mean? Like you can have, you know, my family was great. Um, you know, I get along with my family well, but, um, um, you know, I, I, I got to a point where I just couldn't, um, I was, you know, especially coming off these pharmaceuticals and being so uncomfortable with myself. It, I, it was difficult to like, open up and allow myself to relate to anybody and um and to basically to care to allow myself to take down those walls and care for something because i guess in some sense i didn't even know if that would make a difference even if i did that but then seeing it with plants um and like the process where if you put enough sustained time and energy into something and you do it in a calculated way um you really can make a difference as corny as that might sound. And so plants are very, it's extremely sacramental to me, just the idea of horticulture itself. And I know we've talked about before the idea that like shamanism lent a lot to horticulture and probably a lot to us being less of a nomadic uh, species. Well, it's good for relationship also because like if a girl, if you bring a girl to your home, and you have a bunch of like half dead house plants. It's like a red flag, you know. Like, how is he gonna take care of a child, you know? But if you have like lush, like really, the, the house plants are are loving living with you, you know. Like, uh, you're gonna score. Uh, that's my theory. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it helps. But uh, I have a. I'm, I'm growing cucumber, and and 
an amazing thing with cucumbers because they're, they're like like to climb. So they have these little arms, and I've you know like I've always eaten cucumber, and I know kind of what it, what the cucumber plant looks like. But it wasn't until I grew one that I actually, oh, this is the cucumber, you know, like, and it has like tiny little arms, and uh, I had several of them. Like you have to grow them inside in small pots, and then when they're bigger, you move them to the greenhouse. So when they were small, I had all of them standing next to each other and they grew and they started grabbing each other. And it was really difficult to separate them uh, when I was going to move them. But they had these little tiny, tiny like strings, but it's like arms and they grab hold of things really tight. It's really hard to to get them to lose their grip, you know, and 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 they grab hold of things that is far away, like. How did it find that? You know, like, and it's like it's amazing, like uh, really amazing how 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 they uh, like sense their surroundings. You know, and you you can't see it with your your naked eye, but I guess you could in in like uh, what do you call it sped up film? How they like search for something to grab hold of, and but still they they have to know where to make the arm long so they can reach that thing. So th- there must be some sort of sense of the environment. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's something that's always fascinated me too is um, there's kind of like a little bit of a goldfish effect with uh, with plants where um, they're only like – if you have them in the shade, like if you have plants overcrowding one, then it's only going to grow so much. Uh, but then – and it could look stunted potentially, but as soon as you move it and you give it enough sunlight or whatever, and it's going to shoot right out. And there is, it, it, it's a weird spatial awareness. Like um, you give a plant more space and it notices it, it's going to literally stretch out more, not just up, but like its leaves are going to spread out. It's going to be more full. It's like relaxing and being more comfortable in its space. It's so strange in a fun way. Like, plants really do have their own daily moods just like humans and um uh, and, and and then there's the whole psychedelic aspect like you know if whatever listeners out there have taken something like mushrooms and just been in a forest then it gets to a whole different level and you start feeling like the trees have personalities and yeah some of that is drug induced but i think there's some like i definitely have um uh, there's something to, to be said about something living so fucking long, right? I, I find that really fascinating. And especially like mushroom colonies um, of like spores they, they, they found underground that are like thousands and thousands of years old. Um, it's really trippy. And, you know, the, the mushroom thing is very and, – and their, the way they colonize and work together in this, all, this sort of intelligence – it is intelligence outright, as a matter of fact. Um, it's like super reminiscent of our gut bacteria as a human species. And um, it, yeah, like th- that's just another parallel I've always found interesting. Um, have you seen that documentary? And yeah, like that's, I don't know as much. I can't say that I've um, grown many mushrooms. Um, I've, um, hung out with people like I've, I've been around in the process where like people have actually grown um psilocybin in the past and even like pink oyster mushrooms and stuff and so i've seen it but i can't say that i would be able to do it 
um, not without working out some kinks. Um, you know, like mushrooms, there's like an intelligence with them. They feel like conscious beings. But I'm thinking like, yeah, but, you know, all the other mushrooms, they're, they're also conscious beings they, but we don't use them in that way we use them for food or we don't eat them at all because they're poisonous so uh, but if if one is intelligent they must all be you know absolutely and i truly granted there's no way there's no way to know for sure but i truly think that on some level well I'll put it like this if anything came from um, panspermia and you know things you know falling to earth from meteorites it would make sense that mushrooms uh came came from that it seems like one of the only things that uh that could survive like that could live on a um a rock like that through space and survive a, a collision and then continue to grow listen as we explore the mysteries of the universe the unknown High strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential. Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dog Man Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dog Man Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dog man, Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard, and they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. But I don't know. What do you think about like what kind of intelligence? Like the the outer limits of of um, keeping it any sort of like somewhere in the bounds of empirical thought. Um, there's a room for 
potentially far more intelligence with some of these things. Like when we think of, when I think of mushroom colonies underground that are thousands and thousands of years old, I, I it kind of in a way reminds me of something like the giant squid that only exists in deep sea and they thought was just a myth. And that thing can, I don't, probably not thousands, but can live extremely long periods of time. And a lot of those sea creatures and like, what kind of intelligence do those things really have? It might be far more than we understand. Yeah, I, I have this theory that, you know, with reincarnation, the classical view is that like, first you're an ant, then you're a dog, then you're a human, and then you, you're a rich human if you do good and, you know, like that. But I'm thinking like maybe like to be reincarnated as a tree or a whale or stuff like that would be like the, the one of the last reincarnations because in order to be a tree that stands there for 500 years, you got to be like a Zen master. For real. Yeah, I love that. I love that outlook. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah, there's something to it. Um I mean, to be a human is easy. You should be like a retard. You, know? like, you can just like <laughs> born. I mean, what's required? Not much. Uh, you have a government takes care of you. So what do you need to think about? But to be a tree or to be a... I mean, if I right now was teleported into the mind of a whale floating around in the ocean, I'd, I, that would be like hell, you know, like... Oh, it'd be scary, you know. Like, I, I would need to like prepare for that, you know, like... I mean, imagine, you know, but if I was like a master meditation, Buddhist Zen master or something like that, it would be easy to be a whale, you know, floating around, like drifting in the, in the, you know, like the ocean is huge. Like when you're in it, it's almost kind of scary how, how big it feels, you know, uh, especially on beneath the surface. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. And that reminds me of that story that Ram Das talks about um, where, when he was still, what, what was it, Richard Alpert? Um, he uh, he was traveling to probably India. I can't remember the exact place, but it, it, dealing with uh, traditional Eastern monks um, that were well exercised in meditative practices, um, and he gave this uh, monk a really high dose of LSD, um, and um, it 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 was an like I can't remember how much it was, but it was an ungodly amount. And this guy was unfazed the whole time. And um, um, Ram Das saw him while he was in the peak of the trip because he also left a little bit as well doing some other monkly things. And uh, and he said that the only thing that he could notice was that the guy was had a small smile on his face and he had like a glint in his eye, like a childlike glint. And, and other than that, it was perfectly serene. What would have tossed some people, if they weren't careful – into uh like a psych ward for at least a night before they sobered up this guy it just didn't phase him at all so i think you're right like yeah the only person that could exist as a whale if they were teleported into that body uh from the human existence would be like a seriously disciplined monk sometimes when i've had like a difficult psychedelic experience a common theme is always like this will never end this like will last forever you know i'm losing my mind but when you have a really good psychedelic experience, it's like, well, it could last forever. It would be wonderful, you know. So uh, the reason they're hellish, that version, is because uh, I've noticed uh, in my own experience that it's, it, it's only bad the times when you're using your, your brain too much, you know. 
when you start thinking about oh it's never going to end well then it becomes hellish but if you're thinking i don't care if it, there's no end then you then you love it you know my friends and i yeah well said that is the that's the easiest way easier said than done but that's the best thing to remember if you're ever experiencing something negative just in life uh, but especially a psychedelic trip uh, my friends and i Growing up, we all called that it was either purgatory or bardo. They were the same thing. When you get into that space where for all intents and purposes to you at that moment, it is endless and just sprawling and you just fall into like a chasm psychologically. Um, um, I actually, you know, the only out-of-body experience I've, I've ever had, I'll tell you this story um, because I, uh, it's never really been a place to tell it. Uh, in broadcast before. And I think this fits really well. Um, it was, I was like 20, maybe it was actually right when interstellar came out, um, the Christopher Nolan movie. So whenever that fits up on the time scale, um, but this was years ago now, obviously. And, um, my buddy came over with a bong that had the strongest grade salvia you could possibly purchase. Um, and I'm sure most of your listeners know salvia is just another, you know, indigenous psychedelic, and but it doesn't. Whereas most psychedelics, or at least the classical ones, they're all associated with the DMT, like molecular structure. This is a different um, chemical process um, and structure entirely, but it it acts very similar to DMT. And so I had the strongest form, and it's legal in a lot of places, including a lot of states in America. Uh, you can get it at a head shop. And so I, I wasn't aware it was the strongest one, but I was prepared to trip my face off. So I pr it probably wouldn't have made a difference either way. Um, um, actually, no, I take that back just for the record. I did know it was that strong. I didn't realize how strong salvia was in general. Um, I just thought I'd, I'd get like a peak of a mushroom trip. Um, and so I hit it. I'm in my room. I'm sitting on my bed. I take a full hit. I give him the bong. Um, I pull my beanie uh, hat down over my eyes and I lay down <clears throat> simultaneously. And as I do that, I'm just blasting off. Like this is how I imagine, um, DMT ramps up, like how quickly it goes. And it, all of a sudden everything changes like right in front of my eyes. And as I'm pulling my hat down, I become a rocket and, and it starts out very fun and it actually gets very dark and metaphysical at the end. And it, it really left me with some questions. So I become a rocket and I just shoot up. I literally blast off. I could feel the G force and everything. Like I'm on a roller coaster and I go into this wormhole and I black out from there for a moment. And my friend tells me that from that point, I stand up on my bed and I started tapping my fingers on the wall, like just trying to figure out where I was. I was on the other side of the wormhole though. And then all of a sudden I take a step and I fall. Thankfully, I didn't hurt myself. I fall between my wall and the bed. And this is where it gets really crazy. Um, I um, I felt that I had like, I guess the easiest way to put it is I'd fallen into hell or bardo or purgatory. Um, but it was because it wasn't like demons whipping anyone. Um, it was we were stuck there. And it was it was like a broken record where you're on that loop and you can't make it over the hump. And it's just one thing over and over like gears um, being jammed and just trying that one spot over and over, except it was souls. It was every, all these different souls, all fuck, uh, just bodied up on each other. Like, um, you know, like 
just the worst conditions possible. Um, like in a human, like it makes me think of like a colonies, you know, coming over uh, to the Americas on ships and just, just it being cesspools because what else could you really do? <laughs> That'd be hard to maintain in that era. Um, and, but that this was the metaphysical environment and I was, and we were all stuck in this loop where we were all trying to make it over this grind in the gear process or this hump in the record and we we're all getting slammed into each other over and over. And it was so fucking visceral. It was very strange. And I remember distinctly thinking, oh, shit, not again. Like, how did I get here again? And I'll never forget that. I'll never shake that authentic feeling of truly feeling like I had been there at one point. Um, and then I try to break out. And this is when I push off the wall because I still have my beanie over my eyes. Um, so it's like full trance state. And so I push off the wall and I, I, I experience some sort of spatial awareness and just like, like a bat out of hell. Like seriously, I've never, it's been rare that I, I don't think I've ever been in this much of a fight or flight. I've had rough times before, but this was like, I feel like, you know, trying to inch away from like a serial killer that's about to grab your ankle and pull you back. Like it was terrifying. And I jump over the bed and I pull my hat off. And I see my friend and there was a few other friends in there because we were going to see Interstellar after this. Um, and they were just looking at me and they were a little like just for a split second, a little afraid, like, oh, shit, are you OK? And then I just experienced so much relief, like I could almost cry. And and I was like, man, I guess that was I guess I just smoked some strong salvia. But ever since then, it's given me pause to try any DMT because that was so damn intense and then as, as the cherry on top of that story, like I said, we went to see Interstellar after that. And um, for anyone that's seen that movie, um, there's a point where McConaughey gets stuck in like the interdimensional, like the fabric between time. And he basically exists in this weird pocket, like quantum pocket um, where he's communicating with, with his daughter throughout time as like what seems like a ghost um, playing with a bookshelf. And when it was showing McConaughey existing in that space, I damn near had a panic attack. And it was like just instinctual. Like I didn't even have time to think about it. And so I just walked out of the theater and I was kind of pacing around the outside. Try, like, you know, I wasn't freaking out, but I felt very uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, let's try and think about this. Why, why am I feeling like this all of a sudden? And it, I just kind of let it come to me. I was like, that is, might not be pound for pound, but what he was experiencing being stuck in that weird time space was the same thing that I just experienced being rammed up against all those souls in that weird purgatory. Uh, and so th that was a weird synchronicity for me. And um, yeah, it, I definitely took a little bit of a break from psychedelics after that. Um, I'll never forget that because like I said, it started cartoonish and it became a really impactful thing for me. And, I don't know what all the implications to that are, but it's definitely helped influence me, you know, in just who I am now. I have had similar experiences, um, mainly with ayahuasca, and uh, uh, made me fear because they often say that if you take ayahuasca, it, it makes dying easier. But uh, in my case, I'm almost afraid uh, of it sometimes when I'm thinking about those experiences, because if that's the afterlife, 
uh, I don't want to die, you know, like that. But then I also had, later on in ayahuasca ceremonies, I, I also had a lot of understanding of that, and then also reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So, and also in a sense, this is what uh, Christian preachers are talking about, but in a different way. Christian preachers, they're saying like, be a good Christian or you'll go to hell, you know. Uh, but what I'm saying is like, if you find peace within, uh, you won't go to hell, you know. Like, so if you die, like, if you die, uh, like, again, if you die like a Zen master, you, you're, you're just not going to experience that. But if you... Uh, die you know worse than you started then uh, you probably be reincarnated again and before you're reincarnated uh, it's that chaos you mentioned and i've had similar men, uh, situations in on psychedelics and also uh, you know similar to that inception scene no no not inception interstellar oh yeah but also inception where they get stuck in limbo same thing christopher and um yeah and Christopher Nolan's a very esoteric dude. Um, like I'm, I would love to have a, a conversation about uh, metaphysics with him. Um, but the uh, it's definitely that whole idea of that like psychological purgatory, uh, even if it's not hell, um, is yeah, it's it's really quintessential to um, trance states and like psychedelics. Be- and that was kind of. Um, like a powerful bonding thing for my friends and I is over periods of time as we experimented a little more when we were younger um, and and led us on this path uh, that I'm especially on now, like just being involved with this research and, and all these, all this metaphysical stuff. um, um, We all, we all noticed that we were experiencing similar things and it kind of led me especially to witnessing like, a fundamental reality to something like archetypes. Um, and, and yeah, like however far you want to take that principle, that Bardo principle, it definitely exists in one form or another. And it's something very primal. Um, and yeah, I think you should try DMT at one point. Uh, I've tried Salvia also. It is different. Uh, it's also quicker. Uh, so, uh, um, and less, I've heard less uh, of of this like physical thing where you're running around, you know. But I could be wrong about that. But uh, so it's it's much quicker. Although when you're in it, you know, it can be an inter- eternity anyway, so it doesn't really matter how quick it is. But uh, uh, physically, it's quicker. Um, I remember I had one time a friend took it, and I told him that if he got scared because he'd never done anything like that before. If he got scared, he could just uh, call my name and I'll grab his hand, you know, because that helps, you know, if you get a connection. Uh, if you're alone, you can sing. It could be good. But anyway, I told him that. And then uh, at one point he asked me or he said my name. So I grabbed his hand and he held on to it really tight. And then uh, after a minute or so, he was back. And then a minute later, he was normal. So I asked him like uh, about why he wanted me to hold his hand. And he said it was a really long time into the trip. He needed comfort, you know. And and I said, how long? He said, oh, 
like really long into the trip uh, I wanted to hold your hand uh, but I told him like well you asked for my hand like right after you smoked you know like it was instant almost you know and uh, so time is uh, funny honestly. very much so yeah and I will definitely be trying DMT um, at some point probably before too long um, but but le- I can add a caveat to that uh, uh, the last time I did psychedelics was quite a long I've been on my longest stretch of of a break from psychedelics and and the reason for that is the last time was I smoked DMT and I went a bit too far you know <laughs> so you know like no I just like uh, had a full out of body experience and lost my uh, uh, body you know I, I saw 360 you know I didn't have a body so I, I could see in all directions at once which is really hard to describe de- describe and I had no idea, it doesn't matter how deep I go into psychedelics, I'm always aware where I am, like uh, where is the ceremony taking place, where's uh, where's my uh, house, you know, like I, I'm aware, you know, uh, but that time I, I had no, I had no idea where where it was. If somebody said go home, uh, because I, I'm doing it outside my house in my yard or garden or whatever. So if somebody told me like go home, I don't know, wh- I don't know wh- which direction and what is up or down. I had no idea, you know, it was like um, 360, and that was quite scary, uh, and ma- made me panic. And if I looked left, I saw what was what was previously in front of me. Damn. Oh, wow. So it didn't matter which direction I looked. Uh, I was always back at the original direction. You know what I mean? So there was no escape. No escape. You know, I, and, and I closed my eyes or opened my eyes. I had no effect. I didn't have any eyes, you know. <laughs> it's like really strange. And uh, I remember my intention was that... Uh, because I always have an in- intention. So I, I asked before I smoked, like my, my intention was I wanted to know more what it would, would be like. I wanted guidance on how to walk the shamanic path. You know, I wanted to, what would it take to to fully immerse myself and like walk that path? And that's what happened. And then when I came back down, I, I kind of almost felt like I... I uh, at the end of a roller coaster, I almost I fell to the ground, but I didn't fall. I just laid. I sat. I was sitting, so I just laid down. But it felt like I crashed to the ground, and I almost vomited, and 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 I was so happy I was back, and I also l- understood what what I did wrong. You know, I didn't I didn't I didn't have complete peace. You know, I panicked. I didn't like accept. F- 100 uh, percent and i i just remember i was saying loud loudly oh this path is not easy you know like because so it it, <laughs> it it answered my intention oh you want to walk the shamanic path okay well are you ready for this you know and i was like no i'm not ready you know like i need to work on myself more you know what i mean it's it, so it's it's it was very humbling that's one thing I've always said is that if you do any psychedelic with intention, like you can go so far as to ask a specific question, um, 
and you before taking it, you will definitely find an answer to that question. And it's probably not going to be what you expected it either. No, because normally, like in in base reality, if you're thinking about something like, oh, I I want to learn to play the piano, and then somebody says like, oh, you can't do that, and then you're thinking like, oh, screw you, I'm going to learn it anyway, and then maybe you you fail at it or something. But when you do psychedelics and you say, I want to do this, and then the psychedelic says like, uh, no, then you go, oh, okay, you know, like <laughs> right. you like accept it, like oh, I, you know, like you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, it, it the chemical has the reins at that point. You're just along for the ride. Um, yeah, I it, I've said this before, but this is always the thing that I will give Timothy Leary credit for um, because I don't really like the guy too much. Um, is his interpretation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead? Uh, while I don't think he makes like a very just hard nosed case where. I don't even know if he fully believed it where he said that this is what the they were writing or this is what this is the message they were trying to convey when they wrote the Tibetan Book of the Dead, like in literal form with psychedelics and guiding through trips. And that's silly. Um, It's definitely not true, even though there could be potential for some psychedelic uh, sacramental influence. That's not like the primary purpose, but it does lend to like the archetypes that are talked about in the Tibetan book of the dead um, definitely lend to trance states. And when you look at, uh, you know, the, the practical metaphors that you can take out of reincarnation, the idea that like truly without being corny, like every day you are reincarnated. It's, it's, you know, when you turn over, proverbial pages in life you start new chapters and things like we become different people um in many ways and that is truly part of what the symbolism of reincarnation conveys um probably not exclusively but that's a big part of it and so when you think of it like that and then you consider psychedelics as well you can definitely see how taking a psychedelic or especially something like dmt um is a a, a bit like dying and being reborn again, um, especially when there's the whole there's the science now that's not 100% concrete, but is damn near, and it's very compelling that shows that the pineal gland um, excretes DMT, at, you know, at the near death process, and has a lot to do with uh, the the death experience. Um, so yeah, I find that all really intense in the in the most fascinating ways. Many years ago, I had uh, Timothy Leary's ex-girlfriend on the podcast. She's dead now, but uh, when she was on, she, she told me that uh, she she used to smuggle LSD to to Leary when he, he was in prison. And I, I'm like very conscious about set and setting, so I said like, "Oh, that that wouldn't be an ideal place to take it." She said, "No, it's the perfect place." Like, because when when he took the LSD in his cell, you know, like he wasn't in prison. You know, I like oh, so it's set and setting. You know, like could also be, uh, you know, uh, if you think the set and setting is bad, it will be. You know, yeah, it all has to do with your level of comfort is what it really boils down to. And set and setting, in one way or another, will contribute. But having proper set and setting doesn't. I know people who are like, I only do 
and they're sometimes this silly about it. They're like, I only take mushrooms on a sunny day in a green field. And like, All right. That sounds boring. I mean, that sounds fun every now and then, but I don't know. Um, there's, I've also heard, I can't remember what culture this is, but I know it's, I believe it's in Mesoamerican cultures um, where it's the, there's an old saying that says that you shouldn't actually do psychedelics during the day because it'll drive you mad because it's, there's something about like the feminine, you know, the archetypal, uh, hermetic feminine nature of like the comfort of of night and you you know that that can be creepy if like you're in a isolated area but if you're in your comfort zone that is very comforting and it also lends like less daytime in practical terms means you're not going to get interrupted or there's less of a instance so like i've always actually kind of like taking psychedelics at night not always but a lot of the time Oh, I'm a night only kind of person. I, really? I, yeah, I think there's something to it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I laugh when people say they take it during the day. I'm thinking, oh, you take it during the day. Um, uh, well, take half and do it at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Um, but I understand why they would like it. Uh, uh, I, I have uh, I have tried it during the day only to see what the fuss was all about. And, and my conclusion is that, they, oh, no, it has, it has to be the night. And especially outside in, 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 in a forest area or something like that, uh, I think that's... The, but again, if you're terrified of ants, maybe that would be a really bad place. You know, but, so <laughs> right. it depends on what you like. But I, I have, a, like, a, outside my house, I, you know, like, I have that kind of... Uh, uh, land that's like uh, um it's not like a green uh, uh what's it called it's not like a lawn it's like a natural forest or whatever you, how you could say so i've built uh, uh an open fire you know like uh, traditional with rocks in a circle you know and so if you ignore the fact that behind me there's a house if you only look forward it could be in the middle of a vast forest i mean you wouldn't know but my house is behind me. Uh, but I always take it there. And uh, when the fire has died, so you have a bit of embers. But really, uh, that's the only light. And uh, I think that setting is perfect. Un- unless, you know, I would go to the Amazon or something. But if I take, uh, if I smoke DMT, that's what I would do. And uh, I I agree. That is best case scenario is like taking it like, during the evening like when the sun is setting and then having like a light fire maybe just the embers and being outside in a in a serene part of nature like that really is best case scenario at least for me and when i smoked dmt uh, one time the the fire do you remember the scene in lord of the rings when the balrog screams and you can see his mouth open and it's like this fiery pit oh yeah yeah it looked like that <laughs> Uh, but wow. but not scary but it looked it just looked like like oh, it was awesome but uh, yeah yeah i think you should i think you'd like dmt i've had so many like like one time cuz it's always about trying to break through and it's not as easy as just doing it so it's, i found it difficult to get that far but one time when i i, I got that far uh, there was a being on the other side uh, doing this physical movement, like 
uh, you know, if you if a person is trying to like climb up a rock and his friend is standing on the rock, like cheering him on, like come on, like moving his hands, like come on, you can climb, you can come up. Wow. He did that uh, as I was managing to cross the threshold. Like, yeah, come on, come on, get in here, you know. <laughs> so that, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and I was, like, happy to be there. And I, I sensed it, like, yeah, glad you came, you know, like that kind of energy. Yeah, there's certain things that you just simply, yeah, it's like psychedelics, it's like exercising different muscles of your human experience that, you rarely get to exercise in other places uh, 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 unless you know they exist. Like sometimes psychedelics open you up to aspects of life you just weren't fully aware of. And then it's a whole, a whole different ball game. And, you know, like I said, once um, on recording and I'll say it again, as cherry on top, I truly wouldn't be the person I am today without cannabis and mushrooms uh, to be specific. And um, I'm proud of that, you know, and because, um, it's, it, I guess pride, pride isn't really involved with it. Like I am, um, I'm thankful for that because it's been, um, like I said, it's, just, if you just open yourself up to the right thing, something as seemingly small and minute as a plant can change your entire life. Um, yeah, that sounds cool. Where if, where can people find you if they w want to read your books or listen to your podcast? Yeah, um, so you could check out my website, divemind.net, where you can find essentially links to everything I'm doing, whether that be uh, the two books, uh, Dive Manual and Hunt Manual, um, or the podcast, Black Hoodie Alchemy. Uh, I, I had Alex on there. Um, I've had some mutual friends on there, and it's very, uh, very alchemical and a lot of that is focusing on the the dark twisted side of of metaphysics and you know we talk about cults and serial killers and we also talk about some um pretty positive stuff like i had um a couple friends uh come on and talk about comic books in some really mind-blowing ways like we got into grant morrison and alan moore and the practical philosophy of mysticism and things and it's a lot of fun. So if anyone uh, enjoyed this conversation, you know, go check out um, some of the, the chats Alex and I have had and, you know, whatever else. Uh, thanks for listening. And anything else um, about covers me, you can find me on Twitter if you want, divemind667. And um, um, yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, Alex. It's always a genuine pleasure. I think I could drop a nation by hoisting pens. Whack rappers stomp your face and destroying men from boys to men. My speech leave you hardly breathing And your wife you breathing harder Watch us on your Harley leaving And I'm not just heathen Steaming like a toddler teething Beat you till I have your mama screaming Jesus God just leaving I spit into your bed written like Roger Ebert It's not no fever I'm ill enough to not for karma either Just a snot nose Libra Been seizing about those speakers Unspeakable hotness seeping on beats Them is like the secret to seen as a likeness creature Your rhymes bore me I'm like jewelry Soon as I shine it's blind fury I'm starving like I haven't eaten for days I leap for a chance Battle you fools still beat you on stage Hip-hop and women, I treat them the same Cause even when I finish a rhyme I go ahead and skeet on the page Step inside the squared circle There ain't gonna be no punts Retreat shit or some weak old bunts Can need those stunts and blaze like Pacino guns I claim best in the world Like I'm seeing punk Inside the squared circle There ain't
break gonna be no punts Retreat shit or some weak old punts Can even stunts and plays like Pacino guns I claim best in the world like I'm seeing I'm stuck in this rap and colony anthology Where how many so-called stars are the astronomy Take my mic away, your arm gets sawed Honest God, you think you fly, boy I put my birds down in Arkansas All you are is talk Making you crawl across football fields of hot burning coal But I call the longest yard Stay fluid, yours ain't moving I'm in it to make music Amaze students misbehave I beat that ass with a ruler I'm keeping rappers in rooms With no heat, they trap with a pubic Dudes rapping on stage is painstaking I leave them a pacemakers that break They now sleep in an eight basement I make what happened in Tucson Look too soft Like summer shits in the bathroom stall Battle me, you're sucking up all helium Video clips will show you asleep With eyes open like Paul Step Williams Step inside the sweat circle There ain't gonna be no punts Retreat shit or some weak old butts Knievel stunts and blaze like Pacino guns I claim best in the world like I'm CM Punk Inside the squirt circle, there ain't gonna be no punks Retreat shit or some weak old butts Knievel stunts and blaze like Pacino guns I claim best in the world like I'm CM Punk